Do you remember we used to, in grad school, we would watch The Walking Dead on Sundays and drink beer? Of course. In your uh, in our in our grad student complex <laughs> apartment, whatever it was, tiny little apartments. Absolutely, come a long way since then, right? <laughs> yep, and shows really have faltered since then. Walking Dead. I haven't watched even the past maybe three seasons now. Oh wow! Oh, you're way behind. Yeah, uh, this season got interesting. They did like two time jumps. I know what happened. Uh, yeah. Like I'm, I'm like aware of it, you know. But I just, I haven't. There's so yeah. many, so much good TV. It's like you gotta be, you gotta be picking, picking choose these days, you know. I agree. I need to. I need, I heard Sabrina's really good. I want to watch that. I heard that too. That's we're gonna have to add that to the list. But anyway, oh, last time for the season. Shall we do this? Okay. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Houston, what's up, party people? <laughs> hey, Tyler. Man, 10 episodes in the bag, apocalypse. And it's not even Thanksgiving. Not even Thanksgiving. So much to talk about. Um, these past, excuse me, these past couple episodes, we haven't had drinks in hand. This is the afternoon, so I'm drinking hot cider. No, not spiked, just hot cider right now. Um, to kind of get my mental juices flowing before we really dig into this. Um, wow. Yep. That was a lot. (laughs) Before, uh, there's so much to talk about. I'm really excited to dig into it with you. Um, before we dive into anything, I just want to thank everybody for uh, listening this season, for the kind of community chatter and theories and everything that's gone on on Facebook has been awesome. I feel Amazing like we've year. cultivated a pretty solid community. I feel, you know, people are bouncing ideas off of each other. I've even incorporated some of the things people said into uh, kind of my outline for the ep- discussion of this finale here. We've been using them all year. Um, continue to love the emails and the messages and everything. Again, it's This American Horror Story on Facebook and, of course, uh, This American Horror Story at Gmail. Um, on email. And then, of course, now that the season's over, continue to rate us and review us, and we can you know, hopefully get out to an audience when this hits uh, Netflix and we get a new wave of people who are enjoying this season. Thanks um, to all the people for all the reviews recently. We've gotten a good amount this uh, season on iTunes. So thanks for the good ones, and I guess thank you for some of those bad ones. You know, the feedback is worthwhile. We, we, try, <laughs> we try to improve. Yeah, um, no, but, but seriously, thank you for taking the time. I know that's, uh, you know, an inconvenience to go out of your way and do that. And that means a lot to us regardless. Uh, and the other thing I will say is, you know, we always get a lot of requests as to what we're doing in the off season. And I think we're always a lot more ambitious in plan than we end up being in execution. We had one bonus episode last season. We are, you know, kicking around the idea of in the new year, probably taking a break through the holidays because everyone's busy anyway. But potentially doing something, we've got a, th- a few ideas in the bag. Um that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna keep brainstorming what we might want to do next. But if there is something specific you want to see in the off season, uh, go ahead and pitch it to us. I know there's a million people saying murder house. That's always a possibility out there. But we also have a different um, potential idea that maybe we'll just save that for, you know, after all of the American Horror Story is over, like circling back to the first season. 
but maybe we would go back to it in off season. I don't know. Something to consider. But if you have an idea of something that you would be curious to hear us talk about, we'd love to hear your thoughts too. And you can you know send those to us privately or on Facebook. Um, with that being said, shall we go ahead and kind of get get going on, here on things we here? Go. Let's do it. So apocalypse then. Obviously, that is a allusion to Apocalypse Now, although nothing like Apocalypse Now, but that's the <laughs> I word I never saw Apocalypse here. Now. So. It's a war movie. I mean, it's it's not yeah. at all like this, but uh, it, there's a lot of violence, which I guess there is in this episode. Um, <laughs> yep. So in that way, it's kind of similar. Um, and then you have, you know, you've got guns and stuff, too, and we've got a little bit of that. Going into this episode, Billy Lord had came out and said that this finale is so satisfying. When I read it, I could not put it down, and it tied everything in a perfect, tight, little witchy bow. I think people will be really excited. It really is for the fans. That was a lot of build-up before going into this episode. Do you feel like... Just first impressions, did it hold up? I don't want you to go into your review, but I just like... That set the bar really high, you know? Yeah, I think she wanted people to watch the finale. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, she may have heard some of the complaints and criticism of that last. a lot of people had about this season, particularly the last two or three episodes. Uh, but I think it achieved what it needed to do for the season. Mm-hmm. For American Horror Story, I think I think she, it achieved it, yes. I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, I would agree with you that they, I have my... I've got a list of outstanding questions I want to ask you about, but I feel cool. like there was a lot of there's a lot of great moments in a very American Horror Story type way that made me I don't know. We'll we'll see where we end up by the time we're finished talking. Before we really dive into it, I'm going to go ahead and call this the subtitle of this episode American Horror Story The Last 15 Minutes of Ocean's 11 because I felt like this is like when you see like the background of like how they pulled it all off kind of thing, you know, and there's all the twists and turns and that's I mean Yep. I like that. And it felt like that's, but I, it was obviously a very frantic pace almost, but that's kind of what I, I feel like they were trying to pull off with this. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, this episode was co-directed by Bradley Puker and Evan Peters. Oh, I didn't see that. I, I only saw Bradley Buker's name, so I didn't see that. And I was curious because I'd seen that Evan Peters was supposed to do an episode this season, but I was like, oh, I guess he didn't do it. I missed it. You did it. Well, so I don't even know that it actually showed up on the opening credits, but I was curious for okay. that same reason, because as I was like getting ready yeah. for our review here, I was like, well, weren't we supposed to see an episode from Evan this season? So I went to go see if there was one we missed, and it turned out that he's right. just listed as a co-director on this episode. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't I don't think his name showed up in the credits early on. I only saw... Yeah, oh, so maybe they, anyway. maybe they kind of tag-teamed it or something. Like that. I mean, an ambitious and difficult episode for, to be your first episode directing, oh, probably, yeah. so... It seems like you could use two people on this with the amount of information. Maybe he saw how the response was for the first like five or six episodes, and then Evan's like, "Nah, I'm cool." Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe he'd already filmed like a couple chunks. He's like, "Why don't you do it from from here?" Let's talk about the cold open. We have Myrtle. Myrtle with Venable back before the apocalypse takes place. She's there to visit Jeff and Mutt. Um, she enchants Venable and wipes her memory of her having been there, to, so that way she can get in to talk to them. Um, you know, we talked about some of the celebrities in the bunkers. We see a few more here. They're talking about putting Scarlett Johansson, Charlize Theron, and Jennifer Lawrence all in bunker number two, but not themselves. <laughs> and is is Evan Jeff or Mutt? Do you remember? I I don't remember. Either way, he's pissed off that he's not that they're not in that Billy Eichner's character didn't put him in with the hot chicks. 
Um, then, of course, they mention, you know, we're, we're filling little gaps here where they mention that Michael wants to wipe Mead's memory um, and put her in bunker number three. Uh, so Myrtle then uses magic to, like, um... <laughs> I didn't. I thought Billy Eichner's, Eichner's acting here was a little bit like uh, <laughs> lacking when like he makes it look like she like force you know used the force to make him put the gun down. It was or goofy. It was campy. <laughs> it was totally yeah. It was yeah. It was silly. But it, it was it was but it was funny. Um, and Myrtle obviously Francis Conroy, fantastic throughout this. Um, you know, she she sets everything up so that way the St. Pierre Vanderbilt gets the four tickets to put in, in room number... Coco's you know, dad can buy those spots number three. for Coco and Mallory, yeah. So that does explain it. Um, and the plan then, is in motion. The plan is in motion. And then Myrtle says something like, I just regret that I'm not going to be here to see you die or something like that. D- did you yes. catch that? So she is she killing them? No, I think she wanted to, but she didn't get to that's the way i interpreted okay that she was like i wish i could just kill you idiots but i need you to do this i just forgot that i can't do it because i need you to do your role here yeah okay that's that makes more sense to me and i was trying and that's what i like i was said i didn't she just give them a task why would she want to because it wasn't clear to me if like she was using the magic to kill them at that point and it had more questions but that makes way more sense so yep we're good there um i mean not necessarily not the like most explosive cold open we've seen for a finale but i will say that like it was a lot of fun time again spent with the myrtle character which we've gotten way more of i think this season than we got of her in coven and right. i've enjoyed that um what this is the on? most i think we've ever seen francis conway i think i think that's true because she's normally kind of playing the peripheral sidekick of someone and yeah like the cam like the really great cameo the scene stealing cameo in a lot of situations mm-hmm. Um, I guess probably as Moira is where we've gotten the most, m- maybe her. the most of her otherwise, because a lot of like in Asylum and thinking about the other right. characters. I had read somewhere that originally, and this might be a total lie because I'm not remembering it correctly, but I remember I think reading that Francis Conroy was only supposed to be in three episodes this season, uh, but just people like her so much and. Uh, Ryan Murphy was really enjoying this character so much that she got written into essentially the entire season. She had a Jesse Pinkman moment where they, they decided right. to keep rolling with it. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. I think, Me too. I mean, she's amazing. Um, and we'll continue to talk about her as we kind of go through everything. So back in the Swamp House, obviously, you know, you have the Coven realizing they're not in a position to overcome, you know, and counteract the nukes. They can't actually prevent the apocalypse from happening. So they talk about how they're going to plant Mallory and Coco in the bunker which with the identity spell, which is kind of what we'd surmise by this point. Um, you know, this is a surprisingly emotional scene. You know, they, they Coco's very upset that she's going to be a jerk to Mallory, which I think is... Which still doesn't make total sense, but whatever. I think it's a little over, It's a little overdramatic, but I think that it's supposed to, like... You know, remember how at the beginning of the season I was like, I think that Coco's kind of an asshole. I don't like her character. I think it's supposed to show us that she was supposed to be an asshole all along, and they actually are really good friends, and that that's why we were deceived this whole time. Which, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, I like the Coco Mallory friendship. I just wish it had been built up a little bit more throughout all those flashbacks when we were doing all these other things. Um, so once this identity spell happens, even though it was it was super sweet and 
had a lot of, uh, um, uh, I guess it had a lot of significance emotionally for the for the viewer, but it, it could have been a lot stronger uh, had we spent more time with him in the middle of the season. Just right. a m- minor critique. I mean, I think the most powerful connection, obviously, is Coco's choking on that thing and Mallory saves her life. But yeah. you don't really, you're right, you don't really see a we, whole lot of, like, friendship building in those flashbacks because there's really not time for it the way the season was written yeah also in this scene i will say that i was looking at you know i was thinking well why can't madison also go and you know they've they've got these four tickets and i think it must be at this point because michael knows what the other witches look like and and, you know it's intentional that he's not till this point seen um coco or or mallory so that way they can be incognito and won't be recognized Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a pretty spectacular there's a couple pretty spectacular time jumps that happen here from there we jump forward uh, how I don't know how quickly well I guess it's not this isn't that far forward yet but you know it's Madison, like a day or two it, yeah it's the scene with Madison's view whatever but their memories have already been wiped They we see the scene where they're, the powder blown in their face again which is what Cordelia ends up doing to reverse the spell back in the warlock school later on and then, of course, they're going to Gallant Salon, and this is also when Madison finds out about the morning show, and they decide they're going to enact some kind of revenge. Well, she wants her and Myrtle want to burn Dinah on the stake, but they decide that they well, yeah. Can't. Madison immediately it's like she just walks in. First of all, she sees the bus thing, and um, if you notice, the show, the Dinah Stevens show, is on Wednesdays. I liked that, <laughs> uh, just like American Horror Story. Um, <laughs> But I, how she puts the pieces together so quickly to figure out that Dinah did the double cross was a little much for me. But I do like that she approaches um, Cordelia and Myrtle and says, I want permission to burn a witch. <laughs> right. I, I thought it was, a, it was a fun little bit, but then I, you know, I like how when we're talking about time travel and the way time has to play out, you know, that we need to let things go through its paces and all that kind of stuff. So I guess that's where the plan stands at this point in time. Um, you know, back at the salon, we find Brock sitting in the seat next to um, Coco, I think, at this point. So we Coco. realize that's mm-hmm. when they must have their relationship. This is in 2015, right? So if we, the, we said the apocalypse happens in 20. 18 right it was october 2018 so this Mm -hmm. is three years so there are three years elapses where their memories are wiped i guess before michael is actually able to carry through the nuclear apocalypse i think that's right all right is it 2015 or is it 2018 yeah so there's there is some a time break here a little bit Mm mm-hmm uh, and then, of course, we jump forward in time again, past the apocalypse, to Mallory showcasing her power to Michael in the bunker, the scene we've already seen. Um, and we jump forward to Cordelia, Myrtle, and Madison busting out of the grave. Uh, because of the healing properties of Louisiana mud, they have not deteriorated. And they're coming to house outpost number three to resurrect the girls. And I put, this is this was my part one that was wrapping up here and I said suddenly we're caught up we're back to where this this began at the yep. end of episode 2 or whatever a couple things here that I will say first of all so I think if, if, if I'm understanding correctly and weigh in here it seems as if there was a spell that they cast where they were not really dead they were just buried underground so Cordelia Madison and Myrtle were all actually alive is that your understanding too? Mm-hmm. yes yes they were alive 
So it seems like maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity not to have had them come back with the Halloween thing. Uh, because that's right. what we were all speculating, and that would have been kind of a fun tie-in. This is one of the few uh, cop-outs in this episode that was... I mean, it's it's American Horror Story, so we'll go with it, but it could have been a little thought out better or planned. It's addressed, because Michael makes the comment that, like, like a cockroach that they survived or whatever. So it's, you know, he he does... They do acknowledge it, but it does seem like that would have been a fun and easy tie-in that they didn't end up following through with. Other thing I was going to ask is, were you, like me, disappointed not to, like, actually see any bit of how Michael helps, like, usher the apocalypse on? I almost feel like there could be a whole another season in between what happened at the, you know, end of... The twenty in between twenty fifteen and twenty eighteen, like leading up to the end of the nuclear end of the world, almost, you know. Right. Yeah. No, I think uh, this season was sorely misnamed. <laughs> uh, it should have been called pre-apocalypse and post-apocalypse, not apocalypse. But I think there's a lot of things missing that actually could have been focused on during some of the episodes where we thought they were too much of a sojourn. Right. Uh, with different characters that didn't really matter. Like, we could have spent some time looking at those questions and compelling narrative threads that didn't seem to have any uh, direction at all, including what happened between those two points in time. And I, I feel like I would have liked to have seen, spent a little less time with angsty Michael and a little bit more time with, like, glammy Michael. Like, when he when he really found his groove yes. and, like, y- you know, was able to summon rubber man or whatever exactly yeah i want to see more of that i want to see i want i would like to have seen what happened when he visited outpost one or two yeah there it seems like there's some other that would have been a more fun sojourn in my opinion frankly yes that's a different things to think about part yeah go ahead but we don't get that we get that just immediately right back to the confrontation between the witches and michael where he's like too late the world's already apocalypse and but Myrtle, I wrote this down. Myrtle's said, "Darling, it seems Daddy didn't tell you the most important rule in bringing about the apocalypse. To finish the job, you have to get rid of all the witches." <laughs> Which at first I was like, "Yeah, that's awesome," but then I was like, "Wait, what's the rule about witches in apocalypse? Why is that a? I don't. I I, I, I haven't heard that rule yet." <laughs> I think she was just trying to make a snappy remark, maybe, but it okay. kind of fell flat yes. there. Um, but this is yeah, this is what I would call part two: is the confrontation in the outpost. Which I will say for me was probably my favorite part of, might be my favorite part of the episode. Um, my, you know, there's a number of like, there's there's holes we could poke in this, but I think for fun this was the most fun section. Uh, having Dinah, you know, Michael asks the witches to swear fealty to him. They decline, and uh, surprise, surprise. Dinah decides she's going to go along with him, only to have. Marie Laveau show up out of nowhere, which is not something we saw coming, and they'd explicitly stated that Angela Bassett would not be in the season, so it was. I thought she would. I thought she might come back. Remember last week? I thought I said she needs you to did. come back and clean this up. You did, but I didn't think it was going to happen. I really didn't. Yeah. And so when she came, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people I saw posting on like when she came back out of nowhere were like jump like, off the couch, oh, like oh there she is, and then just like hacking her in the throat with the machete was pretty intense. Yep. Yep. This is this As is the waste of a character she was. <laughs> yeah. This this section was the most apocalypse now section, I would say. Um 
Then you had, well, I think we did get a little mini flashback here where Nan and Cordelia pull Laveau out of hell. And so you were right in your theory mm-hmm. before that Cordelia would end up striking some kind of bargain with Legba. It just wasn't the one we thought. Right. It was a different one. Yep. It was trading yep. Dinah for Laveau. For Mom Marie Laveau, yeah. And yep. I saw some people cool. on Reddit were like, well, why, what was the point that, like, Laveau didn't really do that much. What was the point of bringing her back? And I guess the point of it is, like, if Dinah was on Michael's side, she could have used voodoo magic against the witches like she had previously to unlock the the house for him. So Laveau being there. and Marie had more of a rapport. Right, and so they were able to take her down before any of that ended up happening. And Marie Laveau sucked at being a torture person for uh, Madame LaLaurie. Correct. Uh, then we, of course, have Cordelia magically explode Mrs. Mead, which I thought was another awesome effect. Um, her head <laughs> it goes <was> flying. So <laughs> cheesy. It was so cheesy, but it was like, it was in a fun, campy like, way. Whoa, 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 whoa. She's, she's singing that, she's singing the song while Robot Milk is draining all around everywhere. Why did no one do something like that when Robot Milk show, first showed up at the school? I, I wondered that as well. I guess you could argue that Cordelia was, like, that was when she was really sick at that point in time, so maybe she couldn't pull her strength together, and at that point Mallory hadn't developed the strength to do that. But now Cordelia's reborn. You know, she's had however many years to recharge underground, so she's got the energy to do this now. Um... And then the Madison, Madison's, you know, scar-facing Michael with the gun was also pretty... That was cool. ...pretty badass, too. Even though it is only temporary. And he looked really creepy when he was dead and, like, dead in quotations. And his eyes were open and all the blood was there. That was... Yep. That was pretty nasty. Pretty and then, of course... awesome to see Madison do that. It was awesome to see that. And then, of course, we have evil Brock jump in and, and surprisingly stab Mallory, which Mallory. was unexpected. I forgot about him. Um, yeah, you know, well, we hadn't reason. been, we hadn't been him, there in eight episodes or whatever. Right, yeah. I was like, I remembered him up through maybe episode four. I was like, oh, Chris, don't forget, Rock's running around in there because he just killed Coco. Uh, and yet, nope, well, I forgot about it because we haven't been there in five episodes. So. Or eight episodes, like you said. And then I think that, like, was it Myrtle that, like, immediately, like, immolates him, just sets him on, bursts him into flames? Yeah. <laughs> yep, that was pretty so, badass. So that was intense, and obviously it kind of ends up leading to this whole, um, you know, sacrifice that we always knew was coming. In the meantime, uh, Michael coming back to life and the blood draining back into his body was pretty awesome. And then pretty cool, and I love Madison's great line from Madison before she turns around. And then him exploding her head like a zit was just like a ridiculous, gross, so great yeah. <laughs> special effect. A little like Quentin. What did she say? It was I like Quentin Tarantino esque. It felt like a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's what she said. It was kind of Tarantino esque in the over yeah. the topness of all this. I loved it. Uh, and then, of course, Michael eats Laveau's heart. That's intense. She yes. gets stabbed by Coco. Um, and then he kills her. What were you going to say? Yep. I was like, this is where it gets a little weird for me. I don't know. I, I, I understand like this whole sequence. Uh, of like all right one by one they're kind of putting themselves as a obstacle for michael to get through to protect mallory and the whole plan but my whole issue is like this was the plan just to save mallory for an extra year or two when she doesn't even know she's a witch or and then and then what's the plan oh it's to like the confrontation they should have gotten her out i don't know it i it wasn't clear exactly what they were supposed to do with the exception of bring Mallory back to take her back in time when she's at a they needed, point, they, needed but... they needed I guess Michael's hair and a bathtub 
And yeah. it just, I don't know. It could have been a little more thought out for the years they spent preparing. True. <laughs> they were I, so smart. They are so smart. And this this part was so stupid. Like each of them one by one. Like, I know, I'll stab him. I know, I'll do a voodoo spell. I, it, come on, ladies. I love <laughs> well, you. Yeah. You're all smarter than this. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, part of it is they just don't know the extent of Michael's powers. They know they can't stop. Obviously, they know that they can't stop him then. They just need to, like you said, bide time. So everyone kind of, each person is kind of going through their own sacrificial, you know, stop him stage. And they all know it's coming. So in a way, that's kind of like sweet and emotional, I guess. Of course, the climax is if I cared more about Mallory. Fair, and that's very fair, and I think that that was maybe the biggest wasted opportunity of the season was not building up Mallory before she had her memory wiped or anything as, like, you know, we see her magic, but not, like, getting a little bit more backstory of, like, where was she before she came to... I need to connect with her more. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I feel like that was where we could have used more. Yeah, I just... Maybe like an episode that was like a, just a flashback that was all Mallory's lead up story, you know, like her. Would have been better like, than Robo. Like, ba- like her Harry Potter origin, like you know, the, basically like what the first few chapters of the first Harry Potter book are, where it's like, you know, the moments she realized she was magic, just like making that emotional connection or something. Of course, yep. we do have the really emotional scene where Cordelia, like, stabs herself in the chest, which is pretty fucking intense. Um, and of mm-hmm. course, like so well, I thought this scene was like awesomely acted all around. M- like Michael looks genuinely shocked that she would do that, and it, like kind of he's he, that's why he doesn't get to Mallory in time. Sarah Paulson's acting I thought was great. Myrtle being like obviously she knew this was always coming, but still being so distraught. I mean, this was the original plan all along, like before they even did the identity spells, which was that Cordelia sacrificed herself so Ma- Mallory can get all her power. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we always knew that was coming, but it was still cool. Ascent there was a great be the supreme. Mm-hmm. There was a great line here that was, I think I think Cordelia says this. Satan has one son, but my sisters are legion, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that was badass. That was pretty. That was pretty badass. And I mean, the way she killed herself was just so intense too. I like, like I said, I think that whole part two section was 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 solid, for mm-hmm. me. Like, obviously, I agree. Holes you could poke in it, but the Laveau surprise, all the special effects leading up to it in that finale, I I thought it was very fun. So, let's talk part three now. Jumping back to Murder House in 2015. We're at the scene where Constance finds Michael having killed the priest that she'd brought to exorcise the demons inside of him. Mm -hmm. Um, If we remember in the current timeline, or the timeline that we've seen before... This is the point at which Constance decides she gives up on him and she goes and takes the pills and kills herself in the murder house. Right. Um, In this scene, she is more aggressively fed up. She is, you know, done taking the blame for him. Um, She starts kind of like tossing him around by the collar and he chokes her, like starts choking her and like a pretty intense scene where... She's like, you don't have the balls to actually follow through on this. And like, kind of emphasizing that he's not that fully matured evil at this point. And he tries to make that point, too, that he's a six-year-old in an adult's body. Which, again, is like, it's, it's hard to compute. And it kind of makes this everything that happens next a little bit more heartbreaking, I guess. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, we hear her say she has this realization that Michael is only going to get worse. Like, she can't, like, help him or fix him, and she's tired of burying bodies. Like, he's only going to get worse, so she has to kick him out. Um, she even, like, yells out, like, I don't want you, you right. know? Because this is not the boy that was in the bed. And it is and it isn't, obviously, but I think 
the realization as he matures is enough for her to set the wheels in motion of the scene that we ultimately get with Jessica Lang out in the street. Well, right. Brutal. So obviously Michael leaves the house in a huff. He doesn't know he's been booted. He doesn't know where he's going. And it's just nailed by the SUV that Mallory's driving. <laughs> and then she backs over him and then she hits him again. Uh, there's a lot to discuss and unpack in this one single moment. Um, the, like, okay. One of the most intense parts being that Michael, like, as he's dying, asking Constance to bring him back to the house and he doesn't. Or she does, like, she doesn't and tells him to go to hell, like, is. I think it's a really powerful moment. I also like you do. I personally, again, felt kind of bad, even knowing what he becomes felt bad for Michael at this stage because it is like, it does seem like he has like a childlike demeanor, but he has a, he is possessed by a demon. So there's like, it does seem like he's split inside. Question for you. Bryce posed on Facebook. Is it possible that Mallory got to Constance before this happened? Um, just knowing that this isn't what happened in the, you know, in the original timeline we already saw. So this had to happen where he gets booted out of the house and walks outside. And also kind of the knowing look between, you know, Mallory and Constance at this point almost indicates that Constance maybe actually knew what was going on. It's possible. I don't think it happened, though, just because of how much emotion comes out of Constance as she's having this interaction with Michael to kick him out like it just seems so organic that I mean obviously it's this whole sequence reminded me of why we have Jessica Lang in this series it's like I really was like oh yeah Jessica Lang this is how you act um, but that whole thing of Constance reacting like that to the dead priest I think seemed too organic to have been premeditated as a kick out to get him to go out to the road. Otherwise, Constance would have just been like, hey, Michael, let's go over here so you can get hit by the car. That's a fair point. And I don't have a good, yeah. Yeah. Number two, I don't know if she would want to, I mean, the way it happens, and you will remember this, but this is a direct parallel to Addie getting uh, hit in in the street and Constance wanting to bring her to the house so she lives forever but not making it in time mm-hmm. so there's that's there's that dichotomy there as well and then also you know constance realizing what it would mean to potentially have you know to bring michael's demon back to the house that's already so demonic in the first place i guess that is a hellmouth. Yep. so yep. we've kind of determined but i do understand like that you know there's that deadpan i i i interpret it as deadpan look that mallory gives constance after she's hit him hit Michael I think twice maybe before the final one where it's I I kind of interpret that more as a, more as a like we both understand that this is necessary to be done this guy's the devil yeah there's just like the you know I think that works because you like you said thinking about the, the moment that Constance just had she like she there's been dead there's been piles of dead bodies already at this point in time and yep. she are she obviously knows Something different's going on. I guess the question being what provoked Constance to act differently in this particular scenario than the one we already saw. And who's I mean, to say? Bo- but- yeah, was I, I believe also wasn't that the first time that he grew to that size after, I, and then that's why she brought the priest in, maybe? I think that maybe sounds correct. 
I th- I think you're right that that's the first person he's killed since he grew. Right, because she's like, you're not my grandson. Right. I'd have now. I kind of want to go rewatch that scene in the ep- in episode six to mm-hmm. see exactly where. Because if I remember correctly, we see her like peek in the room and like basically like scream and then like kind of like stumble away crying while Michael just kind of smiles at her, and then it cuts away. So right. theoretically. She could have gone back in the room at that point and had the confrontation in the timeline we saw. It's just a part that got kind of skipped over in right. Constance's retelling. And maybe she does boot him from the house, but then he ends up coming back. And that's when she decides she needs to leave this earthly plane to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe he does get booted from the house at that point in time anyway. Um, but I, I'd be curious to go back and see. But obviously, like, pretty intense scene. Like, killing him with a car is not what I expected. Uh, then again, you know, they made such a point of demonstrating how incapable he was throughout this whole stretch of really getting in touch with his powers. He hasn't eaten the heart yet. He doesn't really know he's the Antichrist, all this stuff, that it's not like, you know, the super demon he is when he's back in the post-apocalyptic world and can come back from gunshots. He doesn't have any harnessing of his demons yet. And I think you kind of see that in the birth scene, like the scene where he eats the human heart and you see the shadow, like that winged shadow behind him. It seems like that's when the demon powers really bloom in him in that way, in a way that he can control. So I I saw a lot of people online saying, well, how could he get killed by a car? But I think that's got to be the explanation, at least as far as Yeah, I think that's what it is. That was my first response to like a fucking car. Seriously, that's what it took? Right. Come on now. Also, Mallory, finish the job, please. (laughs) He's still alive when you drove off. You're trying to kill the Antichrist. Make sure you do it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and also, I think, as a plot convenience, when we're trying to, like, break knuckle through, you know, go through this episode as fast as we possibly can, it also makes sense because, you know, it's a very quick way to do it. Right. So that that's that was part three. Now, part four. <laughs> this is the how everything changed. I mean... It's kind of crazy how, like, like it, this all happened so quick, you know, um, as it had to. You know, it's, we're back to 2015, and Mallory is starting at Miss Robichaux's again with the knowledge that everything has already happened, and she's the person who went back in time and is doing it again. The only one who remembers. Um, and already, you know, knew what was going to happen even and and knows all the people which we see kind of hinted at in the hug with Cordelia where it's so emotional seeing her for that first time and of course seeing Zoe and Queenie and all this stuff and advising Queenie not to go to the hotel which was a little Thank ham-handed God. it was a little ham-handed in the dialogue they gave her about traffic or whatever um like I would have been like be, she's like oh why traffic I'm like no because I'm a witch and you'll die it's, there it's a demonic hotel. Yeah, like, seriously. Tell her the truth. Yeah, just, let's just be straightforward about it because maybe she would just You will die there. I've been to the future. Like, a witch yeah. will believe a witch. All right, and then she also talks about, like, leaving Madison in hell for, like, a little bit longer to make her suffer it out. Um, Which is so messed up. That is that I'm is pretty... sorry. She just sacrificed herself for all of you, and you're going to let her be in hell a little bit longer? That Get was, out of here. That was, that was pretty shitty. That's pretty shitty. That's so rude. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we get Misty back. Nan's pulled her from the underworld as a Papa Legba prize because now Mallory's on the inn with all the demons. Apparently, well, let me ask you a time travel question. Mm-hmm. Here, think, and this is this is Back to the Future logic I'm employing. If you go back in time, like this, 
Is there not then another Mallory in that same timeline? Okay, don't we don't know. Let's not go down this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my biggest issues when time travel is used as a device in a TV show uh, because it could get very confusing and complicated. Certain shows have done it well. Certain shows have done it horribly. This one's kind of in the middle where we're like, let's keep it sort of basic uh, and not a cop out. But um, like I was thinking of like the first season of Heroes. I thought they were pretty good at the time travel thing. Um, I didn't watch Heroes, so I'm not sure how they did it. Oh, don't watch past season one, but season one's good. Um, And for how they use it here, it's fine. I didn't go down that path just because I didn't want to get upset. Um, but yeah, there could be, depending on parallel universes and different choices, the whole sliding door uh, philosophy. So yes, that's possible that there could be no, that happening. But um, I'm happy that we're not going down that road. Fair enough. Leave, leave it in a simple stage. Don't go into the black hole of it all. I, I hear you on that. That's fine. <laughs> I don't trust Ryan Murphy to write about like authentic time travel. That's fair. That's fair. Because there's, there, we would then have a lot more questions. <laughs> and then of course jump ahead then into we've got a series of jumps but we'll call this part five (laughs) uh 2020 where we get our original little lovers emily and timothy who run into each other at a protest have a like it first of all i don't this doesn't this I don't know why they go on a date here because he seems like kind of a little asshole and she's like an activist and and you wouldn't think that she would like be impressed by the fact that he cites his 0.07% Brazilian heritage or whatever. That seems like something that she would be really pissed about because he's effectively appropriating that culture. And that seems like 100% exactly what I thought. Plus, I mean, I think the reason why they reference it is just to make that whole DNA thing again that we heard about you know, from episode one, but yeah, yeah bring it back to that me. would be a huge red flag for her to date. And she'd have to be really like in lust with him to look past that douchebaggery, which apparently she is because one year later, they're already having a baby. Jesus. And it's pause, jump forward three more years. Satan, <laughs> another spawn of Satan. Uh, Mead and Black Pope show back up at the front door. We see the bit, you know, a very, a scene very similar to the end of Murder House where you have the baby that's about the same age as killed the babysitter in a rocking chair, blood everywhere. Um, and this is kind of where we end it. And a, a couple things of note here. To some degree, I think this is kind of a depressing ending, um, at least in my opinion, because, and this was. Bryce was the first to point this out on Facebook, but I've seen people basically talking about the implications of fate here. And it being that, you know, the moral is that, like, Judgment Day in, in Terminator, Judgment Day is going to come no matter what happens. And even if you interfere with time travel, you know, there's a trajectory that it's going anyway, and it's going to arrive there by one means or another. Exactly. So, you just kick the can down the road a couple of years. And so... Basically, what we we and someone else would point it out, and I think this is a good point that the the whole point then of the Romanoff um, uh, flashback potentially was seeing that history is going to go the direction it's going to go no matter what, even if you mm-hmm. intervene in different ways. Which I think that could have been made more clear if that was the aim of it um, at the time, but maybe they wanted this to still kind of be a surprise. Um, 
My favorite comment that I read online about this was that the least believable part of this episode was that a millennial couple a few years out of college with a baby in their early 20s would be able to afford such a sweet mid-century home in California. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, no way. Unless they had a lot of rich relatives die. No way. But before we we go into kind of these loose ends, what, I mean... Where where do you f- land on this ending? We kind of have this whole happy ending. Mallory brings it all together, and yeah. it's 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 not the happy ending we thought it was. I I don't know. No, it was happy enough. I I, I didn't like the prologue. Um, I think it was like I don't know. All, all the quick time jumps were is just a little too much just to show that uh, that exactly what the message that you just said, but. I think I'm trying to read into it more. Remember that Emily and Timothy were picked because of their DNA. So a theory is maybe Michael really wasn't the demon that was, maybe Michael was more like a prophet demon and they wanted to preserve Timothy and Emily's DNA because they knew that their baby would be the actual antichrist. I don't know. I think that um, I think that's a fair theory. I think the other alternative theory to that would potentially be that Emily and Timothy were a um, failsafe of sorts in case that mm, Satan mm-hmm. Satan made did like place them in the bunker basically in case something happened to Michael. So that way, you know, there would have been another baby. Of course, this then leads to the question, if they hadn't died by eating the apples, they would they have had a demonic baby in – a second demonic baby in the bunker? Would there be two ch- children of right. Satan in the same bunker? Or would they have a regular baby? It's a really good question. It's also interesting, obviously, that this particular baby goes to show that you don't need to be – have a demon uh, screwed by a, a demon <laughs> to in order to have a demonic baby um i'm not sure if there's a message in that at all but it's an interesting thing to consider i think i do like this as an ending because we complained about the kind of tidy knot for instance that they've you know tied all the murder house plots in earlier this season and stuff like that and i like this not being you know as happy an ending as we had anticipated. And I kind of like the, the terminate the judgment day message of it that, you know, another apocalypse is, is just going to come. All you did was kick the can down the road. I would have preferred it if they didn't do like the three time jumps throughout this like prologue like or epilogue, this course, like I would have liked the hint that their baby might be the next spawn of Satan, but we went all the way to the, Oh yeah. Like the blatant over the head. This is it's, you know, like, like maybe we flash forward and they have a baby and they just say, hey, have you seen the babysitter? And then like cut from there. And like yeah. I immediately was like, oh, God, the babysitter is probably dead or just seeing like one crow show up or the black pope show. I don't, just just a hint of like something as opposed to like a full on four minute epilogue of. Well, and, and we were it's coming. And, and like we already knew it was coming when like the crows were circling the house. I felt like, yeah, you know? oh yeah, and it's the like, ominous you, sky. Yeah, yeah, you knew what was coming already at that point. I also feel, and this is given this is kind of nitpicking at this point. I also don't think you needed the whole having them meet again, like showing how they they met up again. I think no. like there would have been a way to just you know 
show them together and you could have someone give a one-off statement about like, you know, I don't know. We met, you know, it's Did our anniversary dinner. Yeah. School? yeah. 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 They, there would have been a way to put it all into one scene. I don't know that I love the time jump either, but I like the idea behind it. I like the idea, the, the fate implication behind it. I think, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of adds a deeper, deeper, deeper layer to it. Um, before we go into the outstanding questions I have with this season, I want to ask you to sum this up and rate the episode first. Okay. I think, and I'm going to rank this on how many stars uh, Uber or Lyft stars for Madison Montgomery, <laughs> which was Perfect. a great sequence. I think, I've mentioned this earlier, I think the title was misleading. Um, of the, we're, talking about the, we're talking about this episode, yeah? This episode. So don't oh, read yeah, the season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this episode was fine. It accomplished what it needed to, tying up some stories. It did not do a great job uh, as a, a service for the entire season, but it did enough for me that I was happy with where we were at and what was resolved. Um, the group I was rooting for won kind of, uh, and it's I, I wasn't as upset with the ending about or you know how it how it says that everything's still going to happen no matter what. I'm okay with that because we essentially have our coven together, our team together that will be ready to battle the next time. Uh, and they figured out how to do it one time, and they'll be able to do it again. Didn't know it was going to be this soon, but but I'm cool with it. Um, the cameos were great. They were fun. Uh, I, I, I have my notes all kind of like combined for the season as a whole. Well, that's okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll go into the season like really quickly here in a second then. So you don't, I mean, don't feel like you need to give this a really comprehensive wrap. I think that that was a solid. So just give us, give us your stars after that then. 3.75. That's solid. That's really solid. Yeah. For for my part. As negative. As I've been, I liked it. For my part, I'm going to say that I am on a similar track as you, where I was very weary, wary about where this was going after the past two episodes, um, especially Sojourn, because we felt like that was a waste of time, and these were both very short episodes. My biggest gripe with this episode is less with the plot holes in it than with the fact that it ended up feeling so rushed, and I felt like it could have been stretched mm-hmm. across the past, like the past couple of episodes, in a way that we actually had a little bit more time to enjoy some of these moments. Uh, and explore them right. a little bit more. Uh, but that being said, I, it's because I really liked a lot of what happened in this episode. I felt like it was a lot of fun. I felt like the Marie Laveau um, cameo was really exciting. Um, the the scene with Constance and you know Michael dead in the street was like intense um, and like super well acted. Same with Cordelia when she shoves the knife in her chest. And um, personally, I was a good. I was a fan of the ending. Um, like I said, the overall moral message of the ending. And then also even, even the beginning, like, even though I'm not a Jeff and Mutt fan whatsoever, we got the Myrtle being there helped make such a huge difference. So like overall, I thought like it was a pretty strong ending considering how critical we were of Colt for really not ending the way in any way we found satisfying. So I'm going to give it a four, I think. Like I, seven, you know, 7.75 stars for Madison Montgomery. That's got to be one of the strongest uh, ratings I think we've given a finale. So then curious to to see where that sits, obviously, in the pantheon of American Horror Story seasons. Before we talk, well, here's a couple questions I want to present with you first. 
First of all, what's the deal with Jeff and Mutt? Were Brock and so were they Brock and Gallant or no? I no. so I no. didn't think so either. There was someone I think Jen on Facebook contended that they were the same and that Nana was in fact Bubbles, but I don't know that how you, how you could draw that conclusion no. because I feel like them not saying anything about it indicates that they were different people to me. Yeah, I think that see it, them in the apocalypse. Yeah, I think it makes it super. And they made it super confusing, so it was hard to tell. And those theories, like, it makes sense why you would think that. But there's no evidence, I think, in the end that they were the same people. Also, Evan Peters' character in uh, as Mr. Gallant was gay, and I don't think his character as Mud or Jeff was. And not that you can't cast a spell to change your orientation, but that just seems like they wouldn't do that. I don't know. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, you know, it still does bother me a little bit that the Bubbles and Nana character were so similar. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought Joan Collins was terrific, but that's I where mean, it was so confusing is that there was so much crossover. Obviously, Jeff and Mutt were very different from Brock and uh, Gallant. Um, yes. and I, I liked the whole Brock Road Warrior as a character, obviously, while not liking... It was kind of fun. ...his character as the Jeff and Mutt sequence. Um, Jeff but and I, Mutt were pointless. I didn't think that they should have been in this season. I don't know, like... That was just ridiculous. Getting to that in, in a second then, actually. Um, before we... But, so, next. Why did the witches... Why did Coco, St. Vanderbilt, Pierre's father buy four tickets? Why were Gallant and Nana also in the bunker, too? Why wasn't it not just two tickets? I think because it was under the impression that the family of four was going to go, so the dad was going to buy all four tickets. Uh, but... I don't... Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Who the other two were going to be? Yeah, I don't know. Because they... Coco already asks, you know, Cordelia before it all happens if her family can survive, and her and she says no. She says no. So you right. know, we, she, know they knew back then they weren't actually going to go. Mallory and her, and then, then after G- that, yeah. Ga- I think Gallant and Nana were the ones that ended up using the tickets, but it was more a convenience right. of where they were at the time. Right, right. That's a good point. So I don't know, maybe someone else has a better theory for that than I, but that was the outstanding question I had at the end of this. Um, we already talked about basically, you know, whether or not Emily and Timothy would have borne an antichrist in the outpost if they hadn't died. So that was a question I had uh, outlined as well. Um, another thing to think about in the whole time sequence thing, in this scenario that ends up playing out, all everything that happened pretty much in the episode six return to murder house did not happen then. So you don't have the whole situation with Ben and being a father figure to Michael and then Vivian not talking to him. Mm-hmm. You don't have Ma- uh, Madison pressuring uh, Violet to reconcile with Tate. So we don't we take the bow off of that, which I think is Thank fitting. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. And you don't get um, Moira, Moira. Ma- Moira's kind of touching reunification. That so that's kind of too bad. Let's I don't know. Maybe that that maybe anyway. Mallory. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Mallory goes back and does it. You know, exactly. she's already going Let, back like to pull Madison. Let's say that Mallory, out of the kindness of her heart, is going to go back and do that anyway. Yes, or maybe the kindness of her heart, she goes to hell and brings back Madison, who helped save her life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> justice. Madison hashtag justice for Madison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seriously, and then, the way they treat her at the end is so yeah. weird. And then the other, <laughs> just couple other. You, time travel implications to talk about that means that all the warlocks are still alive the angsty warlocks in, um, including mm-hmm. behold <laughs> although maybe he's still against the witches in this scenario because he never teamed up with them in this timeline 
Right. And apparently Jeff and Matt are still alive creating handjob bots somewhere, as yep. is kind of the whole Church of <laughs> Satan until they, you know, arrive at Timothy and Emily's house years later. So uh, a couple of end-of-season awards I'm going to ask you about. Uh, mm-hmm. Biggest biggest disappointment um, in terms of... Oh, it, so it, it negative, can, okay. Yeah, we're, I'm starting with the negative because then I want to move into the positives. Biggest disappointment. Okay. I mean, it could be a character, but it could also be thematic, whatever you want to say. Um, I mean, I have a few like bullet points of things that I just thought were unnecessary. I mean, okay, my the biggest disappointment are these unnecessary storylines and mm-hmm. characters that okay. serve no purpose except for filler that we didn't really need. And it detracted from our main characters uh, and particularly Mallory, who I wish we'd spent more time with doing other things than magic so we could connect with her more and make her more compelling. So I want to root for her and be a part of her uh, evolution. Yeah. But instead we go spend an episode figuring out how they made a robot, uh, Ms. Mead, who ultimately blows up like that when she encounters the powerful witch. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so disappointment are are the unnecessary sojourns that deter that or took away from our main characters, where I wish we'd spent more time with. I think that's a very fair. What about one. you, I'd originally put Jeff and Mutt just because they bother me so I, much. Well, yeah, we talked about that. So yeah, but yeah. But I actually think that now that I think about it, what I would have. My biggest disappointment is in agreement with you, having not spent more time with Mallory, because I think we spent so much time with Michael, we could have, I think the season would have been a lot more effective if we had spent an equal amount of time with Mallory and gotten parallel stories for each, you know? Um, right. They make they go so far out of their way to talk about, you know, you know Michael's, like, dark parallels to Jesus. Well, why instead of doing that, we could have just had, you know, an, you know kind of like a... Alternate, you know, Mallory taking maybe the alternate path and being the foil to Michael in that more way where we get more depth to her character. So I do think right. I agree with you. I think that was a pretty majorly missed opportunity there. Uh, best newcomer this season. Oh, um, uh, Billy Porter. I think that's a good one too. I had written out, you know, candidates include Joan Collins, who was great. Uh, Cody Fern mm-hmm. obviously played such a huge role, and then Billy Porter. But I think of all of those, I would agree with you that I think Billy Porter was my my favorite too. Yeah. Yep. Behold. I gave um, so Billy Porter. I gave Rookie of the Year. Nice. Okay. Um, so that's that's the same thing. <laughs> but I do have another person in sort of a role. Like, and I'm curious what you would pick for this. We're going NBA here, but uh, who's your sixth man award? So we're effectively talking like a good cameo type person that played well. And oh, I mean, Billy Porter filled that role for sure, too. Um, mm-hmm. The other one. You could that switch, I would... swap these two for me, but yeah. Uh, I guess the other one that I would have to end up landing on that I felt really gave this season a lot of. I mean, I. I'm not going to pick Myrtle because she was a much more significant character this season than I anticipated. Um, shit. I'm going to say... Uh, I want to hear yours first. <laughs> okay. Uh, my So and this could be Six Man or Rookie of the Year, but Joan Collins was would be my other one. Like I think yeah. she was... She did a great job, and she stole scenes she was in. Especially as Bubbles was my favorite compared to Nana. 
I think, yeah, she, I, I thought that Joan Collins was terrific. Um, I don't think Nana was a necessary character. I would have been fine with Jess Bubbles, no. but I guess we wouldn't have had enough of her. I'm not going to call her six man though, because I don't know that she was really that necessary to the plot. Although mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, that you make a great mm-hmm. point. I'm going to, I'm going to say, um, Coco. I didn't like her okay, at the beginning. Yeah. I, I felt like I re- I felt like I really came around to her character by the end. She has the emotional moment. Um, I thought that she, like she's really funny, and when you get kind of the, the calorie counting and all that stuff, and ends up playing a more significant role in the end. Uh, and especially well, because I didn't yeah. like her at the beginning, I think that's what I'm going to give it to. I think uh, a note on Coco, and I agree with you. Um, she and to the actress's um, accolades, I would say that she did a great job portraying the sassy asshole that she has been uh done in her in the past with ryan murphy shows but she did a really compelling like sweet like friend i'm really disappointed that we did not get more of a development of her power because it seemed to be growing and changing and evolving and it would have been really cool if it had paid off in the end to help out as opposed to just oh she's rich can you buy the tickets like that's all she did I wanted to see her power become something else. Well, and Cordelia hinted that there was something more to it because she like had the power to protect or something like that, you know, uh, sense danger. And it seemed like there was a missed opportunity not to use that, like you said, in a more inventive yeah. way in the end. So that's a yep. good one. Um, do you, I've got more categories. Do you have another one? Well, you just gave one to me, so I'm going to give you a new one. Best cameo. Mm-hmm. And let, let me know if you want candidates. I've got a bunch of candidates here. Uh, Constance, Marie Laveau, James Patrick March, Papa Legba, the Harmons, Mora, Tate or Violet. Um, the, who's the actress that was the, uh, the Church of Satan priestess? Um, she was Sandra Bernard. Sandra Bernard. Yeah. So, there, I mean, tons of options here. I think, I think uh, now that you've gone through that list, I, the one that was the most surprising but fun one was uh, James Patrick March. I, I really liked him and Queenie playing cards together. And, he just like he was a terrible human being, but he was so fun and sweet, and that's one of my favorite Evan's Evan Peters characters. So I think that might have been my favorite character cameo. What yeah. about yours? Mine's Constance. It has to be. I think yeah. the, the the scene that she has in this particular episode, that confrontation, and then the end, like her decision not to you know pull Michael into the murder house lawn. Uh, it was. So good. Like you said, totally reminds you why Jessica Lange has won all the awards yeah. she has. She, she yep. has well earned those. Uh, do you have another one? I've got two more. Yeah. Most improved. Most improved. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Madison. I'm going to say Emma Roberts. I think that she, uh, it, the character was kind of a one-trick pony in the original Coven. Like it, she was fun, but she was just kind of bitchy, and I felt like we got more, di- like a lot more dimension to her character this season. And like you said, I'm pissed off now at the end that they didn't like they putting her out there because she really did sacrifice herself in a positive way. Um, yeah, we'll let her simmer down there for a little bit more. What? You kidding me? Yeah. Uh, that's also exactly who I picked. Is it nice? She actually had a a character arc. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can write a character that evolves and grows and matures and changes. Uh she still is who she is, which is great. But like she actually had a character arc which she grew and when she's different in than where she started. And mm-hmm. I loved that. And that was a really great treatment of a character like that. So I agree. 
I'm gonna throw in. I'm gonna throw in. I'm gonna throw in an honorable mention for this category. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheyenne Jackson, because I thought that uh, his wit warlock character was like. I think we mentioned that it was one of our fun ones, and it was a very small part, but I thought mm-hmm. it was. I enjoyed it. Yep, I agree. Uh, best duo. Oh well, I mean, that's a top. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff and Mud. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yes, I would. If that ever was the case, I would never watch the show again. Um, I actually would say that it would be Myrtle and Bubbles. I thought the two of them together were super fun. And I, I know I, Madison and Behold were great together too, but Bubbles and Myrtle were hilarious. What there's about so you? Many, there are so many good options for this one. Obviously, Bubbles and Myrtle, Madison and Behold. Um, Coco and Mallory is, you know, arguably yeah, one. It's not yeah. mine, but it's arguable. And also, I think you could you could say Cordelia and Myrtle, too. They had some touching moments toward the yeah. end there. But mine mine was Madison and Behold. And I think mm-hmm. that Coco and, or sorry, Bubbles and Myrtle was a great one. And I think they're hysterical. Yeah. And I really love their interaction. But we had more time with Madison and Behold. And I felt like I liked how they were. Yep. I mean, and I think this is all a lot in conjunction with Madison's character arc this season. Madison's growth, yeah. But I think that, you know, they're... I don't know. In retrospect, it makes me like the Murder House episode even more. And especially Mm -hmm. thinking now that, that, like, the idea that that all ended up getting erased, too, I think adds a lot more power to it. And it makes me feel a lot better just in reflection about the whole little bow on the Violet and Tate thing and everything. So I think Madison and Behold were, were mine. Right. Final category, MVP. That's my, that was my <laughs> final category, too. Um, I'll go first for this one. Okay. You know, I will say at the beginning here that the uh, most visible character, without question, was Cody Fern as Michael, which is interesting because he was a newcomer and got had had to do so much screen time. And I will give him an honorable mention for that because... Even though mm-hmm. I didn't love him in every instance, he did have, I thought, a lot of powerful moments. And I thought he had he had to work with a arc that was not the best. I think, you know, it's not his fault that they had made him angsty for so long. Uh, you know so he's I, 30? I, is he? And he was playing he's 30 16 years year old. old. <laughs> I looked it up after during the episode because when he's playing the kid again, I was like, oh, he plays a good teenager. How old is he? He's 30. <laughs> so he's, he's got good. that baby face. Him and Finn Whitrock have that baby face because I think Finn Whitrock's yeah. in his 30s too. Uh, so I, you know, I think that he did a really solid job. Um, I also think you can always give props to, you know, uh, Sarah Paulson and all her different characters. Obviously she was doing a whole lot. I thought Venable was a fun one at the beginning, even if ultimately somewhat pointless. Yes. And I thought Cordelia was great, but I'm going to give MVP this season to Frances Conroy, to Myrtle Snow. She was a lot more central character than she had been in Coven, where she was kind of the funny, um side person i don't even think i don't she was in only maybe half the episodes i feel like in coven um but she was obviously played such a huge role here she was scene stealer in all of her scenes and i think that her being kind of the advisor the um the one who guided cordelia through the whole process and everything and and kind of mallory as well really lent her character a lot of gravitas this season and you know, it, it's been, there's been a couple times where maybe she almost deserved it, but we ended up giving it to Jessica Lang instead. And I think this is when it's paid off for her, in my opinion. How about you? I am just going to echo everything that you just said, because I also picked Frances Conroy, Bertel Snow. 
it was finally great to see her step up into the spotlight or give him that opportunity. And yeah, everything you just said is that is exactly how I feel. I love her. And I think hopefully this shows in the final remaining seasons of American Horror Story that she gets more of that chance to be characters that she just nails. Mm-hmm. Now, down to uh, the ultimate season ranking. Um, do you have your rankings, or do you want me to remind you of your rankings? I, I, ha- I have my new rankings, but I don't know what my old ones were. So Before the season began, your rankings were uh, Freak Show at 7, Coven at 6, Hotel at 5, Cult at 4, Murder House at 3, Roanoke at 2, and Asylum at 1. Oh, well, this has changed a little bit then. Might have uh, changed too. Might have down? changed too in other ones, which is interesting. Yes, I do want you to count that down. Okay, uh, number eight, Freak Show. Number seven, Hotel. Ooh. Number six, Cult. Number five, Apocalypse. Number four, Coven. But those are kind of tied to me, tied together. Uh, Interesting. So you four, so you have you have Apocalypse below. Below Coven. Coven. Okay, interesting. But I kind of want to. But they're kind of like but, tied. But then you've right also now. you've also pushed Hotel and Cult down below those two, which is interesting. I wonder if this having seen this made you more nostalgic for Cult or sorry Coven. I'm sorry for interrupting you. I just think that's interesting. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. So Coven, and then the top four are or top three are Roanoke, then Murder House, and then Asylum. What about yours? So mine have changed a little bit as well in an interesting way. For me, interestingly enough, cult cult dropped too, I will say. And I don't know why. Yeah. It's for some reason in my memory, I, I don't like like I remember I remember not liking the ending and now I it's like I, I feel like compared to past seasons, it's it's really it's dropped significantly for me. It was so my work before it was Freak Show at seven, Coven at six, Hotel at five, Cult at four, Asylum at three, Roanoke at two, and Murder House at one. And my ratings are now Freak Show at 7, Cult at 6, so it's dropped a number of spots, uh, Coven at 5. You're miss- you're- you should start with 8. Oh, oh, sorry. Let me do that again. Apologies. <laughs> Freak Show at 8. Freak Show, Freak Show at 8, Cult at 7, Coven at 6. Hotel at five. And I'm going to put Apocalypse at four. Nice. Asylum at three, Roanoke at two, Murder House at one. Which to me yep. means I, that Apocalypse um, helps boost redeemed, redeemed itself. It, yeah, it helped boost Covenant and also redeemed itself. Um, mm-hmm. I think to a certain point in the final episode, not enough to bump it into the top three, I think. But enough to put it higher than I had thought it would be going into this finale. I will say, again, death meant nothing, which was frustrating um, mm-hmm. when you think about it all. Uh, but, you know, Myrtle didn't end up coming back in the end, which is interesting. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Michael's dead now, so that's something. And yep. um, it was really fun to spend time with the old characters we loved, with Myrtle, with Madison, with Constance. And then we got some really fun new characters like our Beholds and John Henry's and that kind of stuff as well. I think what we've learned after this season is 
they should have done an actual show based off of the Coven characters as opposed to trying to work them into different seasons. And that could have been the biggest reason we love this. Yeah, and that could have been my biggest disappointment too was that it was mislabeled like we talked about a Coven Murder House crossover when it was really Coven sequel a with Coven sequel. Cam- you know, a cameo from Murder House akin to the cameo that Asylum played basically in Freak Show for instance. Mm-hmm. We've had kind of these exactly. things before. So it wasn't really yeah, calling it a crossover was too strong. Um, but I want to encourage everybody to go and post their rankings too on mm-hmm. the Facebook page in the comments to this, and let's let's debate what fits where. And I mean, we're all gonna have different tastes, but it's fun to see where we all place asylum. Might all change tomorrow. It's fun to see where we all place asylum. I don't know why hotels moving up in my memory, but I think it's so and it's campy and glampy that I yeah that I'm I'm liking it more. Colts falling, and I don't. Roanoke is it too? But man, I don't know. It's like I don't. I remember enjoying it, but I still don't have as fond of memories of it as I do of some of these. For some reason, I'm having a more fond memory of Hotel, even though I still have Roanoke at 2 right now. We'll have to see Mm -hmm. how long that lasts. Uh, Very last, very last thing. Season 9, we're renewed through Season 10 at this point, so there's at least two more seasons, which is crazy. Um, They did, in theory, leave this open for (laughs) an additional... Apocalypse Apocalypse 2. I hope they don't do that. I don't think it would be... Regardless, it definitely won't be next season. So let me go through i guess first um some of the theories that have been put out there and then we can talk about the ones that we have uh obviously ryan murphy always tries to plant little hints to whatever the next season is in the current episode i've seen a lot of people point out that maybe the romanovs have something to do with this maybe it takes place in you know um bolshevik revolution russia which i don't Mm -hmm. know how interesting that would be it seems kind of weird um and you know people are always throwing around some of the ones that we have been asking for for a long time, summer camp, which I think would be again, really fun. There's so many options. Um, I hope they hear us on that. I hear people on Facebook are posting that one as well. Um, you know, aliens in a in more direct form than asylum addressed them in like a Roswell type yep. thing or something is one we've talked about before. And I know other people put out there as well. Um, Let's see. Michael on Facebook threw out some ideas like a, a an old Western ghost town. We've talked about Hills have eyes type thing before. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm thinking about hints, one of the ones that I was thinking of is potentially more of a, you know, one where robots play a more prominent role dealing with technology, like a Black Mirror Could type be. thing going on. I mean, we had a robot, obviously, in Miss Me, but we weren't really dealing with the um, the real idea of robots on a more grand scale than that. You know what I mean? So, right. Uh, I, I like know. all we, of those. Do you have any others that are... No, the ones I thought were traditional slasher. We still kind of want that. I like, I'd like that, like the summer camp type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, an alien invasion needs to be done correctly, not yeah. as a tack on to asylum. I think that would be kind of cool, uh, especially mm-hmm. if it's like an invasion of the body snatchers type of a situation. That that makes it fun and eerie and spooky, and gives the characters, the actors, a chance to play different types of the same character, which is always kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, yeah, um, the only other thing that I've thought about is anything military-esque. We haven't really mm-hmm. gotten to that world. Yeah, and that's true. you know, bio-warfare type things that, that Apocalypse kind of reminded pandemic. me of. Pandemic. Ta- we might have even mentioned pandemic kind of idea before. And yeah. that would be something that's on new territory, totally. Yep. It could be really interesting. 
We'll yeah. find out in a year. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously be talking about it and buzzing about it uh, when we get there. But uh, we'll be in touch in the new year, obviously, everybody. Again, we want to thank you all for joining us on this ride. It's been a lot of fun. Um, as always, fun to revisit these characters and, and discuss this show with you all. And uh, I don't know. Uh, really, I think we can both say we really have enjoyed ourselves, even in this kind of condensed 10-episode season. And we all hope you have terrific, uh, terrific holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as always, catch us on Facebook at This American Horror Story and uh, This American Horror Story at Gmail. And you can please go rate us and review us um, now that the season's wrapped up on iTunes. We sincerely appreciate that, too. Chris, where can people find you between uh, now and whatever is happening with us next? <laughs> Twitter and Instagram, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. For the last time this season, how about you, Tyler? You can find me on Twitter at TJMoss11. Thanks so much, folks, for joining us, and... Uh, Until next time, happy hauntings.